Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, it's been a dramatic week in the world and in sports. Last week, we were seeing if the Siena men's basketball team was going to win the MAC tournament and head to the NCAAs. We were talking March Madness. The NHL and NBA regular seasons were heading toward the home stretch and toward their pro seasons. And we were a few weeks away from the start of the Major League Baseball season. But now, the sports world has ground to a halt. The coronavirus pandemic has forced the sports world to the sidelines as people worry about whether or not they have the virus. There's no March Madness, no critical NHL and NBA games down the stretch, and no baseball to look forward to later this month. I'm devoting this podcast to the effects of the coronavirus on the sports world. I taped the majority of this podcast on Wednesday, and there could be new developments that took place after I edited the podcast and posted it on Thursday. Later, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio and friend of the podcast will join me. But first, I'll get the perspectives of three of the Daily Gazette Sports Department members, sports editor Michael Kelly and staff writers Adam Schinder and Mike McAdam. Let's start with Michael Kelly, who was covering Siena in the MAC tournament in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Well, Michael, for the third straight week, you're back on the podcast. Are you feeling like you're a regular now on this uh, podcast? I'm, I might be the best friend of the box. <laughs> you might be indeed. So uh, before we get into the old um, coronavirus situation, obviously we're taping this on Tuesday morning, and with some breaking news on Tuesday that Tom Brady is leaving the Patriots. What are your thoughts about that? Are you shocked? Yeah, that was one of those. I uh, I, you know, I saw the news on Twitter, like probably uh, a lot of people, and I saw it from Adam Schefter, and I just assumed that it was one of those like fake spam accounts <laughs> of somebody pretending to be Adam Schefter. Um, you know, it, it's really wild to see just when you see the number 20 years and that, you know, it's 20 years with that one team and that now he's moving on. Um, you know, obviously as we're, as we're saying this right now, this might change by the time that people are listening, but we don't know where he's going. Um, that's just, that's just, you know, that's monumental. You know, that, that's Michael Jordan leaving the Bulls. You know, before all the retirements. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just one of those uh, one of those things that you couldn't really imagine. You know, even as everybody was saying it was going to happen. Yeah, I go back to maybe uh, my youth, Johnny United, going to the Chargers at the end of his career. And, of course, uh, recently Brett Favre, uh, the Jets and the Vikings. So, I mean, you like to see somebody in their career with one team, especially a guy like Tom Brady, 20 years with one team, which is really – uh, really unprecedented in the NFL, you know, where a career maybe lasts two and a half years to be with one team for 20 years and decide you, you don't want to finish your career there. That's just, uh, it's going to be a interesting situation in New England, how they're going to handle the, uh, getting a new quarterback and all that stuff. So if, if, if we play football in the fall, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, and the other thing that makes me wonder, and I mean, and he's talked about wanting to play for, you know, I mean, a while, for years. Um, and I think that if he's going to leave New England, I think you have to take that really seriously because I don't, I don't see why you would leave New England to go play one year somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That you know, he at least must be thinking that he's going to play three or four more years. And he wants to make a lot of money, which he sort of really didn't at New England. He was uh, always, um, you know, deferring money and 
Now he says it's a big payday time. So uh, we'll see where he goes and uh, be a lot of fun speculation because we need some distraction from what's been going on recently here, uh, Mike. The fact that uh, the sports world has been shut down. I mean, life is being basically shut down with the coronavirus uh, situation. You were down in Atlantic City covering Siena in the MAC tournament when this uh, was starting to filter out that uh, the conferences were canceling their tournaments. Uh, what was the uh, situation like down in Atlantic City? Really uh, awkward, weird, um, at points eerie. Um, it, was, it was really weird to see all the news, uh, you know, especially, uh, so I think it's, I guess it's Wednesday night that things really started to move, um, which is day two of the MAC tournament. And, you know, on Tuesday and then most of Wednesday, it was, you know, you were kind of aware that stuff was happening and that things were changing, but... You know, it still very much seemed like, you know, we were there, you know, we were going to play a basketball tournament and, you know, kind of, you know, have a relatively normal week. Um, and then, you know, Wednesday night into Thursday morning, it was just, uh, it was so weird to be seeing all the news and information that was coming out about different things that was happening around the country with different leagues, you know, and, and different updates uh, with the health crisis in general. Um, and then, you know, then there's a basketball game going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was it was uh, it was it was very difficult to focus on the games, um, and it was it was very weird to try to focus uh, on the games. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, the Ivy League took a lot of grief uh, early in the week. You know, like I think it was like Tuesday that this they decided to cancel their basketball tours, and they took a lot of grief. Uh, RPI not allowing hockey allow, allowing fans to see a quarterfinal series against Harvard. They took a lot of grief. Now it turns out they were ahead of the curve of this whole situation. Yeah, you know, and it's almost difficult to kind of keep track of the timeline of how things went. Um, but I mean, that was, you know, that was only forty-eight hours, or you know, it was forty-eight to seventy-two hours before, you know, basically the entire sports world started shutting down. Was you know, kind of these looking back, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, relatively. Uh, minor, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, you know, with like not allowing fans, you know, that obviously escalated very quickly to we're not going to play the games, period. Um, and it's amazing to see how quickly things moved in a series of days and how quickly public opinion, uh, at least for the, you know, for the most part, um, shifted from, you know, there were people upset about there not being fans allowed, you know, for those RPI hockey games. And then, you know, I think by midweek, most people understood, yeah, like there can't be fans, and more than that, we can't play the games. Yeah. Uh, and especially now here in the Capital Region with the high school athletes, uh, as we talk on Tuesday, uh, the state winter championships are still, I guess, up in the air, uh, postponed for now. But then spring sports, I mean, it, it looks like we may not see any uh, high school sports the rest of, until the fall at this point because if they're talking maybe – eight weeks of uh, yes, keeping people, uh, the social distancing, we, we may just end up, end up not having a high school spring sports season. Yeah, and, you know, and I think um, the disclaimer for this part is that we're, we're talking, we're not reporting. Right. Um, I think it's very difficult to, I mean, as you said, at this point, they have not canceled those winter championships. I don't see how it's possible that they could play those winter championships because you're going to, to have these teams on break for weeks and weeks and weeks and then try to come back and play some games, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, beyond that, 
let's say that there is a spring season, those kids, a lot of them play spring sports. They're going to probably want to go, you know, do that rather than try to resume a season that, you know, for all intents and purposes, at that point, they would have left behind, you know, a month, two months ago. Um, the spring season, uh, again, you know, we're talking, we're not reporting right now. It's really difficult to see how they're going to, how they're going to have one. Yeah. Um, unless something really major happens with the entire school year being shifted into, you know, that, you know, high schools, you know, they typically go through, you know, mid-June. If they're going to shift to going through, you know, mid to late July, maybe there's a way that you could play some spring sports. But if the calendar stays the way that it is, um, you know, and kids are continuing with their education, you know, remotely, um, you know, there's just not going to be really time to have a season, uh, you know, and that's, that's the best case scenario where we're all able to kind of go about our lives again in, you know, eight weeks or so. Uh, it's time to maybe give ourselves a little plug here on our staff. Just amazing work uh, that our guys have done, uh, Michael. Just uh, changing on the fly that this fluid situation, you know, your you know, guys are right once around all of a sudden something changes and they got to shift. Uh, just you know, how remarkable have, has our, have our guys been with, uh, with this story? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, in general, reporters, you know, around the country and a lot of newsrooms have done really tremendous work over the last week. Um, I know, I know from our end, you know, I mean, I think the, the greatest challenge was, uh, what it was for a lot of, you know, Americans, as you looked at this, was you needed to kind of come to grips with the fact that you had no idea what was going on, and it was completely unpredictable. And, you know, I start off, you know, each of my work days starts off by making a plan for what the next day's, you know, sports section is going to look like. And, you know, usually that's, you know, done by, let's say, 10 a.m., and then there's, you know, you might expect to make a tweak or two here or there, depending on what happens. You know, we pretty much got to a place where it was, you know, let's wait till 6, 7, 8 p.m. before we really start to figure out what we're doing. Um, because things were changing, you know, just so quickly. Um, you know, we were getting, you know, official updates from places about what they were going to do. And then, you know, an hour later, those updates were changing, you know, dramatically, um, you know, from postponements to cancellations, etc. cetera. Um, you know, I know at the Gazette, I mean, we... You know, we've we covered it from both a high school, college, and, you know, professional, you know, angle, um, you know, with everything different that went on. Um, really challenging, um, you know, story that, that, you know, a lot of people had to work on. Um, and, you know, there was no, no roadmap, <laughs> really, for how to deal with it either. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I was working at Gazette when 9-11 happened, and, you know, that was a week, but, you know, we knew the sports were coming back here. We just don't know what's going to happen, and you know now there's talk about the triple crown moving to the fall, and I mean, how's that going to affect Saratoga? I mean, there's plenty of stories still out there, even though there aren't any games to report. Sure, I think that's you know that's been one of the interesting things. I mean, there's been a lot of people who, you know, I'm sure they've reached out to you. I know they've reached out to me about yeah, you know, like no sports games, like you kind of get to take a vacation, and uh, that is that is not the case. No, not <laughs> There's still a lot going on. There's a lot of, you know, stories to tell. And beyond there being a lot of stories to tell, there's a lot of news to report um, because this is going to keep shifting and keep changing. Um, as well as part of the sports world goes on. That, you know, we started this by talking about, you know, transactional uh, NFL news, and, you know, that's going to continue. There's going to be sports news still. So 
um, you know, it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a time that we're, <laughs> we're going to have to take it day by day. Yeah. I mean, we have a good look at what's going to happen with the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. There's going to be a lot of moving parts over the next eight weeks as far as, uh, whether the NBA and NHL will be able to continue their season if they go right in the playoffs or what Major League Baseball is going to do. So plenty to write about, plenty to talk about, especially locally with the high schools and uh, the effects of this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, not, not a lot of fun, I should say, but a lot of lot of hard work. And uh, uh, it's we're, we're going to keep on it. So there's the sports may not be – action may not be going on, but there's plenty to write about, Michael. Mike, appreciate you coming on for a few minutes to talk about this. And uh, – uh, we'll get back to it. Hopefully, uh, next time we talk on this podcast, we're talking some uh, uh, games. All right. Sounds good, Kenny. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Because sports uh, staff writer Adam Schindler joins me now. And, Adam, uh, you last Wednesday were covering the uh, Albany siena women's lacrosse game at the Hickey Field on the Siena campus. And hours before that game, the uh, Siena uh, administration uh, asked uh, fans not to show up. Uh, when you went to cover that game, what was the uh, scene like and how surreal was it? It was uh, absolutely one of the stranger uh, days of my career. There were They had asked fans not to show up. I think uh, by the time the game, got, basically just because they'd already uh, made the decision moving forward at that point uh, was simply not to uh, allow fans starting the next day uh, for a short period, and it was just too short notice to completely bar fans that day. Ended up being about 80, 90 people, uh, I would guess mostly uh, parents of a lot of the locally-based players uh, from both of those teams. But just a weird day uh, throughout as the game was uh, going on, uh, just different news developing. Uh, basically, myself and some of the other uh, television reporters there were basically the ones uh, who had to tell the Albany coach uh, Katie Rowan Thompson that at that point that they had their next game canceled because at that point the Ivy League uh, had canceled all their spring sports and U Albany was at that point scheduled to play uh, Dartmouth a couple days later and you know in the six to twelve hours after that and then the the two days after that things just got crazier and crazier. I mean, did, did, when you told the um, Katie, I mean, how shocked was she when she heard it? They had, she had just kind of gotten some word of a few things, but they were they were more confused than anything else. I know they were just really you know trying to figure out what was going on, see if things were going to spread even more in terms of uh, news about uh, news about schools shutting down. You know, schools were sending kids home. There were you know really just so many questions at that point that they were just really just trying to get a grip on the situation. And obviously, um, they at that point not realizing that would be the final game of, of the season. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, did you have a sense that this would be the final game? Maybe did they, the players, even have a sense that this would be the final game of the year? I really don't think so. I mean, all the players, uh, the handful of you Albany players that I was talking, uh, we, uh, we spoke to after the game, you know, were looking forward to things. I think at that point. Uh, because this was, at this point, a uh, good five, six hours before the news of uh, Rudy Gobert broke, which is really the thing that, for the sports world, was really the, the big domino to fall. Uh, so I think everyone was thinking that, at the very least, at that point, they'd probably just be continuing playing, but maybe without fans for uh, for a short time. Uh, but, you know, by you know 24 hours 
after that, you know, the NCAA's decision had come down and pretty much every conference in the country had made the decision to, to stop spring sports. Yep. On the high school scene, obviously, and as I said at the top of the, the show here that, uh, you know, as we're taping this, things could change by the time I post this podcast. Uh, we're still under the assumption that the winter sports state championships are going to are just still postponed indefinitely. The spring sports, I mean, they're still holding out open. I, I, I think at this point, uh, I, I do you think we'll, we'll see any winter state sports championships? Do you think we'll see any spring sports being played? Uh, on the winter sports, uh, I mean, that decision uh, from, uh, from NISA should be coming uh, Monday. And, you know, gut feeling, I would say they won't be playing them. Uh, it's it's really too difficult at this point uh, to try and ask those kids who are in the middle of their season to take you know you know six weeks two months off practice for a week and then go in and play two three games in a very short period of time. Uh, it's just it see it seems like a stretch for that to be able to happen. Uh, spring sports at this point, I uh, spoke with NISA uh, Executive Director Robert Zayas on Monday, uh, and they're, they've left that up to the sections thus far uh, in terms of what, whether to begin spring sports. Obviously around here we're in a hold uh, until at least April 19th. Uh, if they do get the all clear to, to return to school and to, to start practicing, Around that time, maybe the first of May, I, I do believe they could get some semblance of a season in, uh, at least locally. Uh, I mean, we've seen in the past, just with weather, teams maybe only getting you know one or two games in in the entire month of April anyway. Uh, but this is you're looking at a situation where these teams wouldn't have practiced either. As far as state championship events, uh, that has traditionally been tied to uh, being done before the start of Regents exams. Uh, which this year start June 17th, and the last state championships were all set to end uh, on June 13th, the Saturday before that. So it would really all depend at this point if those Regents exams get moved back, they might have a little more time to get the season in. Or do they just try and play a very, very short regular season, uh, get to, get quickly to sectionals and play an abbreviated state tournament? And it seems... Just that there are so many variables up in the air that it's hard to really predict what what they're going to be doing moving forward. Yeah, and I know you wrote a story in the Recorder about uh, the Fulton Montgomery County. Uh, in fact, you wrote something in Saturday's paper about that. Yeah, I think it was what the Fonda staff was playing a volleyball match at the time. Yeah, they had uh, the Fonda Fonda Fultonville has a tradition of a uh, of a, a PE volleyball tournament. Uh, that had gone away for a little while. They had brought it back this year. They were playing the final four of that on Friday morning. And then as sort of a cap-off to that, they had a, a staff versus uh, staff versus student all-star match uh, to wrap that up. And, you know, strangely, that could be the, the, it was the last, you know, sports-related thing uh, that we could see for a while. And those kids were all uh, leaving school for a half day. So that was, at that point, the last thing uh, most of the people in front of the high school uh, could be doing for at least a couple of weeks. I mean, uh, just this, this is really unprecedented, uh, what we're going through right now. I mean, yeah, we went through 9-11, uh, but we knew at that point sports were coming back. Here, to me, and I, maybe you can expand on this, uh, we don't know. We don't know if it's going to come back in May. I mean, the NHL's 
making contingency plans. The NBA is making contingency plans. The NHL players are thinking about you know, had a proposal where the you know, playoffs start in July and end in August, and they start the 2021 regular season in November. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I just got a feeling, you know, Major League Baseball, it's, who knows when they'll start. I mean, it's not going to be till around Memorial Day if they get if they're lucky. Uh, this, who knows? Do you think we'll see any sports? Uh, uh, and then, for the fact, the Kentucky Derby is being moved to September. So, I mean, what's going to happen? Do you think we're going to see any NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball this year? It's, it's really difficult to say. I've also uh, heard uh, through a few different uh, online spots this morning that the IOC is at least potentially discussing the idea of pushing uh, the Olympics back to 2021, which would probably be the right decision, but you know, I, I gotta think these leagues are gonna do everything they can to try and get some semblance of a season in, but their reach is sort of a point of no return, especially for the NBA and the NHL, where you're looking at, you know, if you're playing into, into August, you've gotta start thinking about, you know, it's going to bump into every season after that, and you're going to have so the ripple effects are going to be so far on. Uh, baseball, you know, if they can if they can get the all clear and they think they can play by Memorial Day, I think there's some semblance of a season that can get in. They can you know they can find a way to play a shortened season. They've done it. Uh, you know, they did it in '95 uh, in much different circumstances, but they knocked 18 games off that season. And, if they if they found a way to maybe play a hundred game season and you know, have the World Series wrap up in early November, uh, which has happened uh, before, <laughs> and then weirdly, you know, the NFL, with the exception of the fact that there won't be any people at the draft and not a lot of uh, big ballyhoo press conferences at all these signings, the NFL manages to be the lone bastion of news actually happening in, in sports and. It'll be a little bit strange with no mini camps happening in, in, in May after the draft, but the NFL, if things can move forward, uh, if, if, if the, the impact of this virus begins to slow and we get back to some semblance of normalcy, the NFL is going to get through this probably better than any other league in terms of you know waiting for being able to wait and not being in the. Uh, They've got a news cycle right now that no one else has. Yeah, and I think uh, sports fans are happy for it. I mean, there may be some people complaining that, you know, why is the NFL doing this? Are they insensitive? But to me, I, I, this is a welcome release, especially, you know, Tom Brady. That's all we're talking about now. Yeah, it's, at some point you just need something to, to talk about, to think about. That's not, you know, is it safe to, to stick my head outside? Uh, and the, NF, the NFL... You know, there were there were questions as to whether they'd start the league year on time, but uh, it seems like there's very little that the NFL will actually let stop it. Yeah, true. The NFL is a behemoth unto its own. So, Adam, appreciate a few minutes and uh, great work during this uh, crisis that we're going through, and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. No problem. Thank you. Gazette sports writer and columnist Mike McAdam joins me now. And Mike, uh, you had the big news today, or I should say Wednesday as we taped this in uh, Wednesday's paper and online at dailygazette.com. The Kentucky Derby is being moved from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September, September 5th. Uh, I mean, it's not completely shocking, but I mean, how strange is it going to be to see a Kentucky Derby run in uh, late summer? Um, it, it wasn't shocking because everybody has to make a lot of adjustments in a lot of different new ways right now. Um, th- 
the one ripple effect, yeah, it'll be a little strange, but people are used to going to big races and seeing big races at that time of year because that's when, you know, the crank up to the Breeders' Cup the first weekend in November happens. The thing that, that is still being sorted out is this is the biggest possible domino that could fall on the racing landscape, and it fell, and now everybody is scrambling to adjust, including the New York Racing Association, which has to figure out what they want to do with the Belmont Stakes, which was supposed to be around on June 6th, but also how it affects the Saratoga meet. Um, Pimlico people are trying to figure out what to do with the Preakness, which has um, three weeks less of wiggle room than the Belmont does. So, I mean, the Preakness is going to... Here's the thing, though. Racing has continued without fans. There still are many tracks, including New York Racing Association at Aqueduct, and will probably... You know, hopefully continue at Belmont racing behind closed doors because they are able to conduct their sport and and want to conduct their sport because of you know the betting handle is a big economic driver behind you know how that whole machine works. So if they can just keep running and keep the backstretch clean and and not have any outbreaks, uh, which is you know that's gonna that's a whole other difficult challenge that they're gonna have to meet. Eventually, the landscape and the calendar will, will will play itself out. But the Derby, that's a gigantic domino that is going to have ripple effects. Uh, you know, it's like moving one of the Jupiter from the middle of the solar system to, like, the outskirts or closer to the sun. And then the other planets are going to have to realign their orbits. And uh, so, you know, right now, I, I believe, like... By next week, we're going to get some news on the Belmont, maybe a little longer than that, because one of the sticking points is they have to work all this out with NBC, too, which uh, is the broadcast partner for all three Triple Crown races. And if they're going to move these things, they want to move them to spots that aren't going to conflict with other stuff. You know, God willing that these things are even going to be ready to rock in the fall. We don't know. I mean, it's so open-ended right now. We don't know when some sense of normalcy is going to return. But in the meantime... Uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated made their big move with the Derby. They had to do it. Um, you know, I'm sure they didn't want to do it, but they, they had to do it, and they had to do it like right away because um, you know people are trying to make travel plans. And, and uh, you know, Kentucky Derby is a race that really, really is relying upon on-track attendance. They get over a hundred thousand people on Oaks Friday. They get a hundred. They had a hundred fifty thousand people there last year. And it rained and it was miserable and the track was muddy, which made it a difficult betting prospect. But still 150,000 people, attendance um, lined up for uh, last year's Kentucky Derby. So it's, it's a big part of the economic equation for uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated to have people in the seats and, and standing and betting and being on on the grounds for the Kentucky Derby. So they, they that's one event that... Um, they, they're hampered by the fact that they can't just say, well, we'll just run it with nobody in the stands. I, I think that was a big problem for them, and, as it is for the Belmont, too, and the Preakness, for that matter. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably get some news. I, I kind of think that the Preakness, we might hear about that before uh, Belmont news, just because Belmont has a little, three extra weeks to kind of, you know, view the landscape and see if there's any likelihood they might be able to still stick with the June 6th, but I really would be shocked if, if um, they ran the Belmont on June 6th and then and didn't move it. Well, let's talk about the uh, 
the effects of this Kentucky Derby moves to September, and obviously the effect on the Saratoga racing season and the Travers, which always takes place the last Saturday uh, of August. Uh, what happens now with the Travers? I mean, do they, they, it looks like they may, they may have to move the day of the Travers up because they don't want to you know, have you know, the Travers so close to the uh, Kentucky Derby. And they have no choice, really. Um, and I, that's going to be the easy part for Naira. I think the Belmont is the harder part just because there is some little potential, a very small window to, to keep the Belmont where it is. But they have to move the Travers. And I'm, I'm sure they know that. It's just a matter of when and, and, you know, I mean, the no-brainer would be to run it the same Saturday as the Jim Dandy, which is the traditional Travers prep, you know, one of the early weekends of the meet, because that allows you to have some spacing so that the the horses that are pointing for the Triple Crown, a lot of them wind up in the Travers. It's it's three-year-olds, you know, it's most primarily males, and so the same pool of horses are attacking all of those races. It'll just be a little reverse this time if the Travers run early in the meet. Um, on a conference call yesterday, um, Kevin Flannery, who's the president of Churchill Downs, and Bill Karstangen, who is the CEO of Churchill Downs Incorporated, which has a bunch of other tracks besides Churchill, they said they want to make a bunch of three-year-old restricted races, stakes races, into points races with qualifying points for the Derby that traditionally wouldn't have been just because they come after the Derby. Right now, we're, we are just now ramping into the, the major portion of the Kentucky Derby preps where there's a lot of points on the line. we got the Louisiana Derby this weekend. We have races like the Florida Derby, Santa Anita Derby, Wood Memorial at Akrock coming up there's there's big points and they those will remain point races and the horses that win those are going to be prime derby candidates provided they can somehow get from you know march and april all the way into september now but in the meantime you're going to see races like the travers probably going to get moved to the early portion of the saratoga meet become a derby qualifying point race which could have some very big side benefit for naira and saratoga because you know, the horses are typically are rounding into derby form or whatever amount of form they can get at this time of year. Now it's going to be several months later, and, you know, there's going to be some late bloomers and some others arriving on the scene. At, at Travers, there's going to be some high demand to get into that race. For one thing, you know, based on the point structure, probably the first or second, definitely the first and probably the second, maybe even the third-place finisher is going to have a guaranteed spot in the starting gate uh, at Churchill for the Derby. So it changes the Travers a lot. Another race is the Haskell, which is the same weekend as the uh, Jim Dandy down at Monmouth Park. That's probably going to turn into a points race and maybe just stay where it is on the calendar. So um, as far as the Travers, um, I, I think Naira has to move it to the, to the <laughs> excuse me, early part of the meet. And because um, right now as it stands, it's only seven days away from the Derby and, and and if they keep that, no one's running in the Travers. How does this overall affect the overall Saratoga meet? If you have the Travers early, I mean, do they end up moving the, the whole meet up if, if once well, we get the all clear? That's kind of one of the little forgotten things. Everyone's so worried. You know, Derby and Travers are the, you know, the big glaring watchwords that everybody immediately kind of knee-jerk um, reacts to. But there's a whole roster of big stakes races in other divisions that take place 
on Travers Day, uh, Woodward closing weekend, um, and the, the CDI and Churchill people yesterday said that they want to basically transfer their whole Derby Festival, whatever they call it, the whole week-long, you know, five days of intense racing that normally would happen in the lead-up the days before the Derby. They want to transfer that whole shooting match to September, not just the Derby and the Oaks, which means you've got races that are, are drawing the biggest turf horses, the biggest older horses, the biggest sprinter, you know, the, the, the star sprinters, and all of these same categories correlate to a lot of the races that you typically see on Travers Day these days, like, for instance, the Sword Dancer, which is a longer turf race, Personal Ensign, which is a longer route of ground for older female horses, the Forgo, older sprinters, Ballerina, older female sprinters. These all have corresponding races during Kentucky Derby Week, and if they move all of that to the Derby as well, that's going to affect Travers Day because, again, by the same principle, horses that are running in those divisions aren't going to come back a week later and run at Churchill on Derby Day. So there's, there's going to have to be some shuffling with those races, too. Um, it's not just isolated to a, a Derby um, Travers and then also the Belmont Preakness uh, deal. You almost wonder now if maybe they go just one dark day just for this year, if they uh, try to you know, get everything in and uh, then, you know, just get out before the end of August. Uh, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's on the table. Um, I don't know. That's a good point. Um, I don't think so. I think it really worked for them last year, the two-day thing. Um, you know, this it, it, all has to get approved by the New York State Gaming Commission dates and things like that, which I think would be rubber stamped if they wanted to make a change. But, um uh, that's an interesting point, but I really they, they really liked how the, the format worked last year. They didn't change anything going into this year. It was exceedingly popular um, and lucrative for them. They had over $700 million in, in betting handle for the meet. Um, so they, you know, they really hit it out of the park with the two days off last year, and I, I can't imagine they would change that. One thing I was a little wondering about is if they might try to move the Saratoga meet like two weeks earlier, but problem with that is nobody who's considering rescheduling stuff right now is thinking about, hey, let's try to do it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite of that. Everyone's trying to like push it farther back to give themselves a better chance of actually pulling it off. I mean, if they, under normal circumstances, if they if they'd moved it earlier, that would alleviate a lot of the, you know, that the orbit of the derby, you know, affecting everything else. But I guarantee nobody's thinking, hey, maybe if we start Saratoga two weeks earlier, that'll give us a better cushion between all the stuff that we're trying to do and, and the dirt. I'm pretty sure nobody's trying to move stuff earlier. Everybody's looking at later. Well, speaking of later, I mean, we don't know about the Tokyo Olympics uh, that were scheduled for this year. I mean, there's a possibility they could be postponed the next year. And uh, you wrote about um, in Wednesday's Gazette and online at dailygazette.com about two local athletes who are hoping to get to Tokyo for the summer games. Yeah, Emma White, uh, 22 years old. She's a, a member of the four-woman um, track cycling team pursuit, which just won a world championship in Berlin. Germany last month, um, and as far as I'm concerned, she's a lot to make the Olympic team, um, and Nick Wisdowski, our, our old friend from Dwaysburg High School and two-time NCAA 
uh, wrestling championship uh, champion at heavyweight for North Carolina State um, is just coming off a gold medal in Ottawa on Sunday last weekend. And one thing I forgot to ask him was, like, if he had any kind of hassles travel-wise this last weekend coming from Canada to back to the U.S. He lives down in Raleigh. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, but he didn't bring it up on his own, so I, it doesn't sound, it sounded like it was pretty smooth. But he, he's also, you know, looking forward to the Olympic um, trials for the U.S. team, which was supposed to be held the first weekend in April, and they know that's not going to happen, and they're going to have to push it back to May, hopefully. So he's in a total holding pattern, with, you know, just training and trying to maintain his form, doing what he can. Uh, so the two of them have uh, very strong Olympic prospects that they're kind of just cooling their heels, waiting around to see what happens. Um, Emma was supposed to start her road season, which is different from track cycling. Track cycling is that those those very quick, short laps around a velodrome, which is like bananas if you ever watch it, especially the individual stuff where they're all tight and there's crashes all the time. And, and the road stuff is longer, and it's, you know, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're out on roads, and it's, you know, longer loops and stuff like that. She, she cycles on a pro team as well, and they would have been doing a lot of that stuff, like, right now, like, this coming week. And that's all, you know, out the window because of everything being canceled. So they're kind of just working it out, staying in shape. She does two workouts every day. Nick is working hard down down in Raleigh and um, just waiting and waiting and waiting like everybody else. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine the uh, town of Dwaynesburg is probably excited for these two to get into uh, the Olympics. I would think because, I mean, Emma's 22, Nick is 27. They didn't really know each other in high school, although I guess Nick knew um, her brother, Curtis, who's also a very accomplished professional cyclist, and they happened to meet each other at the Olympic Training uh, Center in Colorado Springs, where Emma is right now, uh, last fall, I think it was. And uh, she was telling me yesterday on Tuesday that, yeah, I mean, I knew him because he was always like the superstar wrestler when I was – a young kid going up to the school district, and I don't think he really knew who I was. But then, meanwhile, I talked to Nick, and he's, you know, he's very pumped up about what she's doing as well. So, Dwaynesburg, you know, small town in Schenectady County, just starting to get out toward like the very rural part of um, uh, Schenectady County, and uh, not a very big school district. And they have two kids uh, come out of there and, and uh, have a very real Olympic aspirations. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um... We'll talk a little college hockey here quick, Mike, to wrap things up for your segment here. We'll do a deal with sure. the, the uh, union uh, season in a, in a later podcast. But you were down uh, at New Haven for the uh, game for that series with uh, Union and Yale. And when you heard that RPI was going to play its series with Harvard, the uh, quarterfinal series with Harvard, without fans, what was your initial reaction? Um, it made sense. I mean, a lot of things like that were happening. I know the RPI was very disappointed. <clears throat> Um, but it made sense because you were starting to see little, like, news of things like this happening, trickling in, and this just seemed like another one of them. It was, it was kind of more, not shocking, but, you know, more, um, more impactful when they found out that suddenly it wasn't going to be Harvard after all. It was going to be Colgate because of, you know, various teams pulling out of the ECACs, and so they had to kind of shift gears in midweek and suddenly start scouting, uh, our guy head coach Dave Smith said, oh, yeah, we, we were ready. We, we were scrambling all night, and we showed up at noon the next day with a brand-new scouting report. And then next thing you know, they find out, 
none of it's going to happen. Yeah. It's a real shame for RPI because they really had a nice role going there at the end of the season. Um, I will say that I, I was looking at the – I had to double-check the calendar because it was only a week and a half ago that I was in New Haven covering Union against Yale, and it seems like at least a month and a half ago with yeah. everything that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, that was only a week and a half ago? No way. <laughs> but it was. Crazy times, crazy times. So, Mike, appreciate yep. a few minutes and uh, stay safe. Sure. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you somewhere in the office or down the road. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll talk. Like I said, we'll talk uh, the union uh, wrap up season uh, in a future podcast. Of course, absolutely. Thank right. you, Ken. Thanks. That's Mike McGann. Coming up next is ESPN Raiders Freddie Coleman. You're listening to Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox. Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion, New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Back on the podcast and now joining me from ESPN Radio and a friend of the show, Freddie Coleman. Uh, Freddie, how are you doing today? I'm good, my friend. Hanging in there and doing the best we can with what we have to deal with. How about you? I'm doing well, my friend. Just, you know, same thing here and uh, contemplating whether or not I'm going to work from home, but uh, we'll see what happens to me. It's, 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 a big, it's a crazy time and trying to figure out what we're going to do with the sports uh, department and sp- is obviously you know, what we're going to write about because uh, a lot of things yeah. are going on. We, you know, The state winter championships here or high school championships are still postponed indefinitely. The spring sports, who knows if they're going to start. So it's just uh, a lot of, lot, still a lot of stories to write. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because I think a lot of that has become part of the storyline, Ken, in terms of, okay, who's going to think about maybe having championships with the winter sports or having anything going on in spring sports because I get the sense that somebody wants to do that, but they're going to be afraid of the backlash that rightfully so is going to come their way because you can't put people in peril because we don't know who's walking around with COVID-19 because they're not showing any kind of symptoms. And can you imagine if you decide to make that call to have sports open up and then somebody goes to an event and then they develop symptoms of COVID-19? then you would not want to live with that if you're the administrator making that kind of call. So there's no doubt there's a lot of lot of decisions and a lot of lot of opportunity that people are struggling with. Should they open it up or should they continue to close things down? I go back to March 8th um, when I, I was sitting here at home and uh, watching college basketball on CBS and they were at, at the halftime they were, and they had NCAA officials talking about what's going to happen with the tournament and so everything was, you know, status quo for – for the time being, and then like five minutes later, I get a message in my, on my phone from an email from RPI saying that they were going not going to have the hot, the ECAC hockey tournament quarterfinals against Harvard. No fans were going to be allowed in the building, and I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. So I go over to uh, Houston Fieldhouse with a press conference to talk about that, and then a couple of days later, the Ivy League decides we're not going to have a basketball tournament, and I, that decision received a lot of criticism from uh, teams in the Ivy League, players and all that stuff, but then Rudy Gobert comes down, yeah. diagnosed, and then everything basically at that point goes to hell. And then it, it looked like both RPI and then the Ivy League were ahead of the curve. Yeah, and with the Ivy League, I understood why they decided to make that decision. I didn't have a problem with that in terms of safety. The problem I had with them was that they were going to cancel, or decided to cancel the postseason basketball tournament for men and women, but yet other Ivy League teams are flying all over the place that they were going to play in the rest 
team had a game. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, if you're going to shut down the Ivy League tournament, and I get why you're doing that, then why are you allowing other sports in the Ivy League to continue as business as usual? So that's the problem that I have with their decision. I would not have a problem with any decision when it comes to safety and making sure that everybody is going to be put in a safer environment, especially not playing sports. But when that happened, I said, boy, I can't believe they're going to allow that to happen. And that's why I thought the hypocrisy happened. And then a couple of days later, they shut down everything else because they knew that was going to be bad optics when it came to the Ivy League. Well, I think it was that Wednesday when Harvard decided that they were not going to allow their hockey team to go uh, travel to uh, Troy to face RPI in the playoffs. And that set in motion, I guess, with the rest of the Ivy League sports. I mean, at that point, Cornell and Princeton were still going to play each other. Yale was scheduled to play Quinnipiac in the uh, quarterfinals. And then I think it was Thursday that RPI decided we're not we're not going to do this and we're not going to play. We're we're, we're we're pulling out of the tournament. And that's when everything just, at that point, the ECAC hockey said, that's it, we're done. And, of course, then we saw started to see other the, the basketball uh, conference tournaments, uh, Big Ten, uh, SEC, uh, the MAC. I mean, everybody started to, you know, to cancel their tournaments. And then, obviously, you know, it came down to no NCAA March Madness, no NCAA Frozen Four. Then uh, the spring sports, all gone. It's just, it's, this is really unprecedented times. It's one of the things where a lot of people, when you have something that, snowballed faster than anybody could have anticipated and of course you're going to be caught unawares and off guard because I'm sure that when we first heard about COVID-19 when it was happening other places were probably never thinking that even if a case or two happens here it would not shut down an entire country not just sports and that's exactly where we are from that standpoint because it's one thing to have a potential that's going to be there we still don't know when Major League Baseball is going to start. We still don't know if the NBA is going to have a long season, if they're going to have to start over next year. you got to think about the case that maybe the NFL and college football, that has to be delayed because we don't know exactly when this is going to get to a sea level where we start to see it go back instead of continue to go forward when it comes to COVID-19. Because every time we turn around, we're hearing new and new cases each and every day involving somebody older. Or I heard about a case with a two-year-old that, that has been able to contract the COVID-19 virus. So when you have that uncertainty and unknown and you can't really put a prediction on it to get a handle on it because it's not going to be handled right now, that's leaving a lot of places and a lot of events and a lot of people making those decisions completely in flux right now. I think the next domino to fall is going to be the Olympics. I mean, obviously, we see the Masters a golf tournament postponed. We see the PGA Championship postponed. French Open's been postponed. The Kentucky Derby's being moved to September. Uh, I think that, I mean I think the next domino falls got to be the Olympics, and I think they have to make that decision soon. And I, I can't see them having the Olympics in Tokyo. There's no way that they're going to have to have the Olympics and think that that's going to fly with people. And you're right; I, they're holding out to hope that something is going to happen between maybe now and May that'll give them at least two and two and a half months where they can have the right preparation for the Olympics. But even if that happens, they're trying to squeeze a worldwide event and try to make everybody believe that everybody is going to be reasonably safe, athletes and spectators and officials. Uh, I'm with you, Ken, in terms of, because I'm surprised Wimbledon has not pushed back their tournament because the French Open already did that, the U.S. Open, they know they have time on their side where their tournament does not happen until late August, early September. But I think if Wimbledon, which usually happens the last week of June and the first week of July, if they decide to either cancel or push that back, the Olympics will both be two to three weeks after Wimbledon concludes. Are you going to really have that in the Far East and think you're going to get people to compete? There's no way that's going to be able to happen. So I know they're on the good ship lollipop from that standpoint.
sometimes we see, okay, you think you may have enough time and you blink your eyes and you realize that you're on the outside of that when it comes to having time on your side. And the Olympics, I think they better realize that sooner than later, that it may be no 2020 Olympics, especially with so much going on, that it's going to supersede anything that's trying to convince people that the Olympics are supposed to be held and that you're going to be safe if you decide to attend or participate in the Olympics. Especially the NBA, if they decide to, you know, have their playoffs uh, late summer, like July and August. I mean, that's another. You know, the NBA players wouldn't be able even be able to go over to uh, Tokyo to play. Yeah, I don't know how the NBA is going to be able to accomplish that because then how do you do that? Do you have your first round, the first two rounds, best three out of five, and then best four out of seven? And here's something else. Uh, what about the NBA draft? Because you can't have a draft until the season is over because they usually have that about a week after the NBA finals are all said and done, at least seven days. So if you're going to push the season till July and August and try to end your regular season that way, so when are you holding the draft? Labor Day weekend, the middle of September, then when are you going to start the season? You can't start in October because that's not enough time for any player that gets some acclimated and signed a contract, no matter how the salary is spotted, when it comes to first rounders in the NBA. So you're going to start the season in January, you're going to start the season in December. There's so many factors at bay when it comes to the NBA that I know that they want to keep things open and keep the options available. But at a certain point, you got to take the L on this one. You're the NBA. You have to want a line of credit that was far beyond what you already had the line of credit to make sure your business operation can stay afloat until you get business operations back up and running. But to do something like that, there's so many other factors you have to consider if you decide to push the season further along and then start your season in summertime, and then it affects everything else, not just for that season, but for the next coming season, including the NBA draft. And obviously, same thing happens with the NHL. I mean, they're talking. I saw a proposal from the players that they like you know, do the playoffs in July and August. Which, how do you keep ice? I mean, in in a building in August, I, I'm not sure how you're going to yeah. be able to, to do that, and then have your uh, draft in September and, and free agency, and then you know, training camps in October, start the season in November, and try to play an 82 game schedule next next year. It seems really kind of ludicrous at this point. I mean, I, I think there's got to be a, a point where you just say, you know, screw it, we just can't do it anymore. We can't yeah. wait and just it's unfortunate that we have to cancel the season and the postseason. Now think about this, what you have to say, because a lot of NBA, NHL teams chair arenas, but then once everything gets a clear where you say, okay, we can get back to sort of business as normal or business as usual, we got to take baby steps when it comes to that. Remember, Ken, a lot of concerts have been canceled, and a lot of these concert venues are in the same buildings as NBA, NHL teams. So you got to take that into consideration because now you're going to have to worry about having people being overworked when it comes to facilities people and facilities managers. So that's another aspect of sports where a lot of concerts that have been canceled, a lot of festivals have been canceled, like Bonnaroo, for example, when they want to get back up and running, they're going to probably start in smaller venues like an arena. They're not going to go to stadiums. So now logistically, you have to worry about that if you're a person in charge of a building or a corporation in charge of an arena, and you got to try to fit all of this when you don't have a lot of time to see if that's going to work when it comes to the NBA, the NHL, the WNBA, and also any concert that you would think about having involving big-name stars wanting to get back out there on the road. Yeah, just a crazy time here. Uh, well, at least we've had a distraction from all this uh, coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic talk. The NFL, uh, free agency underway, and, of course, the big news – Tom Brady leaving New England to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It saying that just seems weird and strange to say that Tom Brady's not a New England Patriot anymore. It's going to be weirder when he had that press conference and he's holding up that jersey with Brady on the back and the pewter outfits of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Buccaneers. And for the longest time, Ken, I said, I'm not going to believe it until I actually see that press conference with him holding up that uniform. Well, here we are days away from that with him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think it's a clear case once and for all. We know who the boss in New England is, and that guy's Bill Belichick. It's not Robert Kraft, the owner. It's Bill Belichick. And not too long ago, Robert Kraft told anybody that want to listen that he was not going to get in the way of Bill Belichick when it comes to making football decisions for the future of this team. And the minute I heard that, I said, boy, I wonder how much that Bill Belichick may want to move off of Tom Brady, and now he does not have to worry about Robert Kraft standing in his way. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tom Brady's final meeting with anybody in that organization was not the coach, but with the owner, Robert Kraft, on Monday, letting him know that, you know what, this is not for me anymore. I wish you guys nothing but the best. And Bill Belichick was nowhere near any kind of meeting, and Tom Brady has not set up any kind of meeting to talk with Bill Belichick, and neither has Bill Belichick. So once and for all, Robert Kraft is a guy that is the check writer. But the guy that makes the decision regarding football, he's entrusting Bill Belichick that he's going to make the right decision. But I will say this, Ken, whoever's going to replace a legend in, in Tom Brady, you can't worry about replacing a legend. And I think you got the perfect coach in Bill Belichick to say, hey, it's not about that guy anymore. That guy was great for 20 years. But what are you going to do to be the best player going forward for the New England Patriots? And I wonder how Bill Belichick will be able to sell that to free agents because more than ever before, you got to hit on the right free agents and make that work to keep things going with your football team no matter who you are. Biggest question there is who is going to replace Tom Brady? That's uh, who knows at this point. Yeah, Ian Fitzsimmons and I were talking about this on Tuesday, and we said it'd be the most Bill Belichickian thing to do to bring Jameis Winston to the New England Patriots <laughs> with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers having their quarterback who used to play for the Patriots for 20 years. That'd be like the ultimate Bill Belichick thing to do to say, well, you guys couldn't handle Jameis Winston, but I know I can, and I got a younger guy with a bigger arm, and oh, by the way, I won't have to pay him as much as Tom Brady won in the final two to three years of his NFL career. Now, I don't put anything past Bill Belichick because no matter what has gone on with Tom Brady, you know that Bill Belichick has a plan A, a plan B, and can I guarantee you he's working on a plan C right now going forward without Tom Brady. But can you imagine what kind of what kind of reaction that would get if all of a sudden you hear the Patriots signing Jameis Winston to a one-year contract for about $20 million? I would not put anything past Bill Belichick because he has shown he always stays ahead of the curve, no matter what's going on with anybody else in the NFL. I think the biggest loser in all this is are the uh, Los Angeles. We should have stayed in San Diego Chargers. Was really yeah. they're going to a new building. They're sharing with the Rams, and really, why should I pay a season pay a, get a season ticket for the Chargers now? I mean, was, I, I, I just I don't see. I mean, they didn't get Tom Brady. I mean, they get Tom Brady. They're probably the talk of Los Angeles. Well, the only way you could probably save face with this is let's say you go to Tua Tagovailoa, and now you got somebody who has juice, but nowhere near the juice that Tom Brady would have provided had the Chargers were able to make a run at him and bring him to their organization because they would have been the second most watched team in Los Angeles behind the Los Angeles Lakers. They would have jumped ahead USC football. They would have jumped ahead of the Los Angeles Rams. They definitely would have jumped ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are the Hollywood swingers out there, because of one guy, and that guy is Tom Brady. And think what kind of seismic effect this is going to have, not only him not going to the Chargers, but going to Tampa Bay Buccaneers and not staying with the Patriots. All of a sudden, the New England Patriots are no longer those national darlings when it comes to TV. How many how many national televised games will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have where they're going to be showing the majority of the country, especially the teams that they play inside and outside their division? You know they're going to get a bunch of games on Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football, but they're all going to get that 4-4-15 window where they're the late game on Sunday afternoon 
Packers and also the New England Patriots. How many 1 o'clock games are the Patriots going to play that nobody's going to care because that guy is no longer part of that organization? Yeah, it's, uh, I heard you on Tuesday night, your show with Ian Fitzsimmons, talking to somebody from Tampa about that. I mean, that, like you said, they, it could be a uh, primetime team. It's going to be, uh, I think, what, Tampa Bay does play Kansas City this year. So that, that's, yep. that's, a, that's a definite primetime game. Either it's a Sunday night game or Monday night game. So a uh, lot, lot to digest there. Well, you mentioned the Cowboys, uh, Freddie. Dak Prescott, uh, the French, exclusive franchise tag. Uh, did the Cowboys handle this properly? I think they clearly handled it properly because I know Dak Prescott wants to be the highest-paid quarterback because that's what the market is going to bear. But if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you played it smartly because you knew that you wanted to keep Amari Cooper and make sure that things were going to be cap-friendly. And the best way to do that was, okay, we're, we're going to have Dak Prescott on a franchise tag. He's still going to make a lot of money. We're going to work towards a long-term deal. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys clearly understand that this is business. Now, Dak Prescott gets his bones up in terms of being completed as they franchise tag them, then you know Dak Prescott got there and show people that not only can you be the right quarterback for the Cowboys, but a quarterback that can win games in the playoffs, not just one game of losing in the first round. So if you have that kind of belief in yourself, and his numbers last year were spectacular, second most, second most passing yards in the National Football League and top three in touchdown passes, but can you do it in a situation where they need you to make that big throw and win that game or make that big throw and win that division championship or make that big throw and get your team in the playoffs and keep going in the playoffs. The jury is still out when it comes to Dak Prescott. I clearly understand why. So the Dallas Cowboys, in my opinion, handle this properly. They want to pay Dak Prescott, but they're not going to do it when they still believe that he has a new coach with them and still a little bit more to prove that he can be the guy that he believes that he is and that the Cowboys are hoping that he's going to be. Well, Freddie, appreciate you taking a few minutes here, and uh, you can listen to Freddie Coleman along with Ian Fitzsimmons on Freddie and Fitzsimmons Monday through Friday at nine from nine to one on ESPN Radio. It's great entertainment to talk sports, talk game shows too. I heard you talking game shows the other night about with Pat Sajak, Alex Trebek, and uh, the Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Yeah, I'm a Jeopardy freak. That's one of my ultimate. I don't have like a bucket list of things because I've been pretty blessed with anything that I've wanted to do. I've been able to do, but. If I get a chance to be a Jeopardy contestant, I don't care if I don't want to make it final Jeopardy, Ken. As long as I get a chance to be on a show like that and compete, that's one of the ultimate things I would love to do. And I take the Jeopardy test all the time. So I'm hoping that one of these years I'll be able to break through, get a chance to audition, have a chance to be on that, have Alex Rebecca shake my hand whether I won the loss again. Well, my fantasy is being a bit to be on match games. So I was doing the Gene uh, Rayburn era. That's, uh, that would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> can you imagine Ken shot up there with not only Gene Rayburn, but Richard Dawson, Andy Black, Joanne Blue, Charles Nelson Riley. That would have been good TV right there, oh, my friend. Oh, man. That's, uh, that's, I still watch some of that on Game Show Network. I, 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 I learned more from game shows when I was growing up in the 70s than I did from Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers. No doubt about that, because especially when, you, when I was home from vacation and I used to watch Match Game and Musical Chairs and The Price is Right and all that stuff, believe me, that was part of my education growing up as well. I always do the Johnny Olsen tag at the end of match game. Stay tuned for Tattletales next on most of these CBS stations. Oh, my God. It was right? <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good luck and uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too, my friend. Always a pleasure, Ken, and you thank be well, my man. Uh, thank you, my friend. That's Freddie Coleman. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, 
Hi, this is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Kieber. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast with this Parting Shots. As a public service, I would suggest that you listen to all the advice that doctors and government officials are giving you with regards to dealing with the coronavirus. And please don't attack the media. We in the media are doing our best in reporting the latest news. The media is not overhyping this, as some would like you to believe. This is not a hoax. This is real life. Wash your hands. Stay home. Let's try to get rid of this virus so that we can enjoy our life and sports again. And keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly and staff writers Adam Schinder and Mike McAdam and ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman for coming on. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.